0: I think uh, you know, a lot of Americans see it that way, certainly the viewers to this show view it that way. Whether the senators are gonna you know move, I don't know, but there is still a lot that people can do, especially on a state level, You know that maybe they haven't thought of because your book is quite illuminating in this regard. It, it points us into so many different ways that people can use the state system to highlight all the injustices going on. I wanna run through right. some of these. I'm gonna run from 10 to one, uh, under which order you'd like to go, and I hope that's okay. Okay. Um, and I'm gonna just, these may differ a little bit than the ones you had in terms of verbiage, but it's what I could fit in. So. Um, it starts with asymmetric warfare. So it starts with this idea that, why don't you explain what, what you mean by that? I guess you just have, I don't know if you wanna add anything.
1: Yeah, I mean, it. to let one side play by one set of rules and then they force you to play by the other. You just say no. I mean, you do what Mitch McConnell does. You just yes. go do it. And here's the thing that I had a state's house member who I know who's a Republican and we disagree on everything. He's somewhat infamous in the state house, but I've known him for 20 years. He tweeted at me after I said they must pass the Voting Rights Act. I put the chance of that at 0%. They're laughing at Democrats who don't stand up and fight. In my attitude on the asymmetric warfare, surprise them by how hard you fight. Make them stay all night, every day. They should have run all the way
0: through that holiday vacation. The Democrats in the Senate are not behaving like this. It's not in their nature to do this. They're not suddenly gonna discover this weird muscle that you're describing here. Right, they need um, to. Yeah, they're not going to. I can tell you that we've tried.
1: Well, it's unacceptable. I mean, those Texas legislators yeah. left their homes, they're left great. the state yeah. because they were alarmed. Stacey yeah. Abrams, to great risk, She said, I'm not going to be the governor, but she didn't concede. She called out the illegitimacy. One of the things that I put in this book is, and this is why the Orban conversation is so important, competitive autocracies rely on the sense that everything is legitimate. Mm. And so if you go along and act like it's legitimate, you're giving them the gift they want. Every U.S. senator, like Stacey Abrams did, like those Texas state house members, you need to say this is not legitimate and your behavior should reflect that. And kind of being calm and saying, sure, you can have a filibuster without doing anything. To me, that's sending a signal that you don't think it's that big a deal. And I think it's a huge mistake.
0: But isn't that exactly what it feels like is going on? It feels like the Democrats, or at least some Democrats, have bought into some of the change that the Republicans might have wanted and that they're not fighting as hard. It certainly seems to me like, you know, a lot of the time they're putting up sort of a show, but they're not diving in there as much as they could. I know it's easy to say on the outside looking in when you've only got 40, 48 real seats in the Senate, right. but you know, it, it just feels like that.
1: In the last month of last year, it was good to see a lot of Democrats actually saying, I think we should get rid of the filibuster. Yeah, I'm warning to do that. And I agree with Chuck Schumer, call the vote. Absolutely. Call, Call the vote everything. is. hiding vote. behind, yeah. you know, because I don't think it's just one or two. I think they're more. Yeah. And I think they let a few take all the heat. And if you, in the end, aren't willing to do this, you're not for democracy. I'm sorry. And I say this to people who I respect. You are letting democracy die if you let this filibuster stand in the way of your constitutional oath to protect democracy in states. And again, you're also being played the fool. Yep. Mitch McConnell is laughing. The people in these state houses are like, wait, I passed my bill. I didn't even care what the Democrats thought. I didn't mm. even talk to them. It was yeah. written in some conference room and I passed it. Mm. But these fools in DC are going to sit around and require that Rob Portman and Susan Collins sign on. They're laughing. Yeah. And my attitude is don't have them laughing. Have them shocked because mm. you fought harder for democracy than anything they've ever seen you fight for. And that's, again, That's important for the other side to see. It's important for everyday citizens to see because if you act casual about it, the everyday citizens, the ones who are not paying attention are gonna say, well, is democracy really in trouble if they don't even seem to act like it is? No, they're gonna read from the casualness. And by the way, many senators are very fired about this. I don't wanna minimize that there are many, but as a group, it needs to be like, we don't need another speech. We need some passion and a little bit of anger and the same toughness that I hate to say, Mitch McConnell shows.
0: Yeah, he doesn't I'm,
1: care.
0: He doesn't care. And you know, there's a lot of Republicans, maybe not a lot. There's probably one or two Republicans that can be shamed if they're concerned about re reelection opportunities, who can be shamed into voting for some of the stuff that they would Absolutely. otherwise not because they're hiding behind Mitch and, and about, uh, you know, basically and let,
1: let's be clear. If you do a poll today. And one of the things this Freedom to Vote Act does is it creates a broader template of how many drop boxes you have per person. If you did a poll today, you want more drop boxes in your state, the poll is 80-20. These are generally very popular things. As you said, I think you can move people. You know, we had a straight up vote in Ohio on changing the constitution to end partisan gerrymandering. It passed 75-25, mm-hmm. overwhelming. In what world do people like you know rigged anything, let alone elections where politicians do whatever they want and can never lose? So the truth is there are a lot of pressure points that you could hit hard on, but if you don't bring the argument, you know, no one ever hears it.
0: Right. And maybe that's something is just as a actual takeaway that people can take away from these points you're suggesting here in your local state races, find the people that are vulnerable to this pressure because there are pressure points. You know, there's a lot of people who are going to lose their political careers if they don't sign on to some of these bills. We need to highlight that. And I think there's an yeah, opportunity this gets there another to identify one of the 10. I
1: don't know if it's in yeah. your group. And even if they can't lose because they're in a district they cannot lose, mm-hmm. still run against them and call mm-hmm. them out every day for a year. Yeah. Because where they really win is when we don't challenge. They don't want a challenger. That's why they rig the districts. Mm-hmm. And when we don't run, they get to say whatever they want for nine months. No one challenges them. So one thing we have to do, you know, declare victory when people run in really tough districts and mm-hmm. treat them like heroes for democracy that they are and get them enough resources so they can point out all these things as opposed to leaving them for dead. Cause we have five swing districts we care about. We have to broaden the conversation. Mm-hmm. Just make sure it's clear. This is a long game. And if you run, every year in every district you're far better off than if you leave 30 out of 99 districts without an opponent where they're mopping up and they're putting all their money into the swing districts. Absolutely. They've been fighting this game for decades and we haven't. And it's one reason why we haven't made inroads.
0: And when you talk to people in the Democratic Party, they're saying that a lot of this money is already being allocated. Like the real money for next year is already, you know, been spent. And in fact, we're not going to see a very much of a different strategy going into this next election cycle, which is why the predictions are so dire for Democrats.
1: Yeah. No, my worry is that is a potential reality. Mm. Two things can fix that. One, there's a revolution in small dollar giving and organizations, and I'm talking to a few who are thinking about this, if we can kind of create enough of a, of a firestorm around democracy everywhere, every year, and say, give a little bit every month. And that'll let us support candidates in every district in Ohio. You know, A $20,000 campaign in a small rural district is a lot of money. Absolutely. It's a rounding error at a statewide, and it's not even in the conversation federally. So I think there's some power in digital in online giving, small dollars monthly. But here's the other thing I'd say if I ever had a room, and I've tried to get this to um, some of these donors, but if I had a room with big donors. I'd say, listen, guys, take 6% of what you spend in the presidential, which is billions, and set it aside. You'll find another, you'll find other resources for that presidential anyway. Take 6% of it and invest it in all 50 states every single year to run candidates, to build up voting registration operations, sorry about my thing, you name it. And that money will go so much further. And by the way, you'll do better in the presidential race too, because you built something.
0: And, I like and, what you're saying so much about this idea of creating, you know, a organization or a digital presence of some sort that allows people to find out where they should be adding yeah. their pressure points. Cause I do think people are very confused by the enormous challenge of trying to figure out which candidates are the right candidates, which issues right. are the right issues. Even on you know, the on the voters' bill, there's something really important there that can be done, I think, just in terms of identifying who the most vulnerable senators might be. I mean, right. we don't know who those vulnerable senators are. You might have a better idea. Other right. people, you know, inside the beltway might be able to have a better idea of who the, the more vulnerable yeah. people are. But people on the outside don't know. So if we have those names and we knew where we could send our 20 dollars bills that might right. be more effective in terms of getting us through that yeah um i'd really and love that thing idea. i
1: want to say is sometimes and this is going to sound counterintuitive and maybe pie in the sky but mm. even if the person isn't the best candidate like put it this way democrats are waiting for barack obama and Stacey That's abrams right. to save us republicans put people in seats everywhere and say go win and they win and they're in power mm-hmm. so We have to say to anyone who will step up, especially in the hard districts, you are a hero. And we are raising enough money through small dollar donations Mm -hmm. that when you start your campaign, you're not going to have six figures, but you're going to have enough to get your name and message out Mm -hmm. and do that as many states as possible, knowing, by the way, that most of you are going to lose. But running everywhere means you win somewhere. Mm-hmm. means you force them to share resources and not only go after the five swing seats. You know, Virginia was a great example. And so in my book, it's not just pie in the sky, I go mm. through case studies. Mm. The Virginia General Assembly was uh, gerrymandered in 11, like everyone else, and two straight elections, they ran everywhere in uh, 17 and 19. They ran many more candidates than Republicans. They picked people who knew their community. They had a diverse group of candidates. And over those two cycles, they defeated the Republican gerrymander. In Ohio, we didn't flip a single district for six years after the gerrymander. Hmm. In 18, first year we had candidates in all 99 districts, we flipped six. Interesting. You gotta run everywhere. Again, don't overpromise, underdeliver. but you have to have a conversation with these candidates where you say, you are part of the big team of democracy mm-hmm. and you are stepping up. And by the way, if you don't win, maybe run again. About three of the six people I mentioned yeah. who won in 18, they ran in 16 and lost. They kept mm-hmm. running. Just like Stacey Abrams, perfect example. She knows this is a long game. So mm-hmm. she didn't win a governor's race and there was a whole lot of you know, voter suppression that happened. Did she quit? No, she actually in her, the night of that speech, she said, we made progress. A lot of people probably thought, really? Well, who was right? She was because mm-hmm. every door knocked on, every voter registered, everyone fired up. Kept going, kept going, they're now on your database. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, two years later, oh Georgia's blue. So we've got to redefine this as a battle for democracy, not, mm-hmm. not a battle over swing states and federal elections. And once we define it that way, you know, the teams change embrace republicans who actually support democracy there are not many left yeah but no there are there are there. people
0: there are plenty out there, yeah,
1: there are, they are there
0: mm-hmm.
1: define it as a long game so you don't go home and cry every time you don't win every two years but if you built something keep building and you got to do it all over you can't just pick 10 states and say the rest of you we're going to allow you to live without democracy and i mean again that's a violation of the constitution no one in any state should live in a state that isn't a functioning democracy We don't want that in the world. Why would we let it happen in in states in America?
0: Absolutely. So there's a guarantee about that. And of course, you know, the house is just on a knife's edge in the next round. I mean, any number, just a handful of seats could flip the house uh, in one way or another, and that will change uh, the trajectory of history. You also said here, this is number nine, prioritize democracy above everything else. So tell us a line about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you can break bread with someone who you disagree with on other issues... Mm -hmm. do it that sounds naive in 2022 reagan and bush both signed the voting rights act Mm -hmm. the the senate passed the voting rights act in those years something like 97 or 98 votes it wasn't that long ago that this was bipartisan right i'm not naive but there are some republicans and some of them have left the party others are quiet who i think still believe in democracy and i think we have to embrace people we disagree with and that also means Mm moderates to the extent they support democracy and progressives also go fight about other things but if you're on the same page of democracy that's even more important one last thing and this is really important and it's it's sort of counterintuitive i think although i get it and it was amazing it would be trump defining the other side as never trump is far too narrow mm-hmm. the attack on democracy preceded trump It will be, it will continue, and the powers of these states will continue if Trump doesn't run in 24, if he's not around five years later. What they are building is about democracy. Just like I say in the book, you know, Andrew Johnson was controversial. He didn't support the South. It'd be like saying you have a never Andrew Johnson movement instead of a never Jim Crow
0: movement. We are
1: defining it too narrowly in what that has done. And I think this is part of what happened in 20. It gave a lot of Republicans who didn't like Trump a license to vote for Republicans the rest of the way, Mm -hmm. even though those Republicans, although they didn't feel like Trump, they were more civil than Trump, they're against democracy just like he is. They're just more... Savvy about it or quiet about it. So I think every single voter who cares about democracy needs to say, even if you don't like Trump, I don't care. Are you for democracy?
0: I love that, then especially then because we've I'll seen that. We've seen these Republicans yeah. destroy democracy in the middle of this country, as you yeah. point out. You know, let's call them out on that all the time. They shouldn't Absolutely. be able to go through an election cycle without every day that's being reminded. Of
1: and even if they're genteel, you know, some of these goofballs walk the Edmund Pettus Bridge and send photos out. And then they say the Voting Rights Act would federalize elections. That was the whole damn point, folks. So yeah. if you see people doing that, don't think never Trump. Well, that guy seems okay. He's against democracy never vote for him, get him out of office.
0: Yeah, and almost every Republican in office in the state houses is against democracy as they are in the federal houses. You've also said here, expose election corruption. I mean, that's kind of obvious, but it's not really because we don't spend enough time saying where the votes are rigged and looking at it and highlighting where the rigging is happening because it's happening everywhere and it's systemic.
1: You gotta call it out. You know, one of the ways I think about this is election night in America is literally like a holiday. You know, we have panels of CNN and MSNBC, we have Mm -hmm. special music we all can recognize. And we all watch it. And this is, again, this is what comparative, uh, competitive autocracy wants. It legitimizes everything. And that's fine if these were fair elections. There should be as much coverage right now over the rigging of congressional districts. Put the panel up. Play the fancy music. Tonight, they determined... 13 races in Ohio out of 15. They just determined those. Mm. So we don't all sit around next year and somehow act as if it was a surprise. So I think we all still are so excited to believe in our unique democracy that we're unwilling to call out where it's flawed. And that's why we need to be much more clear cut on not everything's broken, but where it is broke. You know, some of the stuff they're seeing on the other side is obviously absurd, but rigging elections so you and I can break 99% of state house races in Ohio for 10 years, that should be front page above the fold. Yeah,
0: absolutely. It, it's it's they're just so. not covered. It's just not covered. Yeah. I mean, it might get a mentioned the in the local world. newscast. On the it
1: election get. itself.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I, we
1: all sort of play into it and it legitimizes, which is what they want.
0: Well, the local news story that you will, is another one of your points that we'll come to, but you know, the fact that local newsrooms have been bankrupted of any real journalism and the fact that local TV stations no longer really function as, as local TV Stations, you know, this is tragic because there's no one actually on a local level looking at what's going on in terms of these election gerrymandering and the rigging. And there are people who are capable in each of these states in who can get on on the internet because we now have the capability to do shows like this. You know, who right. can get the word out. I hope. Right. People listening tonight, wherever they might be in America, if they encounter these kinds of efforts to rig the vote or change the vote, gerrymandering, that are completely are not getting the light that they deserve from journalists, that they put it out themselves. You know, you've got your phone, you've got your Twitter right. accounts. Record something, put something out, express to the world what's going wrong in your area because you are the local media there. Now there is no. That's other. literally okay. why I wrote the book.
1: Yeah. I was sitting around. Tweeting something, I thought, I shouldn't tweet this. I need to write this. Yeah. And if you look at now, it seemed I'm sure my wife is wondering what the heck's happening to my husband, but almost every day I do a whiteboard, which gets viewed a lot, you know, 50, 60,000 views, sometimes more. It's my effort to just inform people. Like it may seem desperate, but I don't see enough else out there. If people follow me on Twitter, they'll see all this stuff at David Pepper. But yeah, we all need to get it out there. And what's happening with journalism is exactly that. I mean, they are being in it's a perfect situation for again, Alec, the Koch brothers, Mm -hmm. because as I said, This is about, I call it the 80-20 rule in my book, throw everything at the wall. And 80% of it may not pass, but 20% will. They'll cover the 80%. They may not even get to the 20, but the throw out, it's kind of like what you said, you know, the fake news or the Madison Cawthorn story. Mm. They'll throw some crazy idea out there. It gets all the news coverage. It gets crushed by the legislature in the end because it did get exposed. In the meantime, they passed three other things that never were in a story. So they know there's limited coverage. Mm. And by the way, one other thing, and this is gonna sound really in the weeds, who do you cut in journalism when you're running out of money? You cut the columnists and the ad boards, the people with some institutional history Mm -hmm. that can cut through the clutter and explain, that's the most ridiculous map of all time. Straight news have to generally do both sides. So you also are seeing the long-term you know, shoe leather, more expensive, more senior reporters be the first to go. And that Mm -hmm. ends up meaning that any kind of neutral analysis disappears, and all you get is Fox News or tweets from one side or the other. So there's a lot of tendons being cut in the media beyond just the fact that these papers are a lot Absolutely. Smaller.
0: And especially the investigative teams, which is where a lot of this stuff comes out of. Those are the first yeah. to go. Um, you know, a lot of these newsrooms are just gutted. They stories. have nobody in them. They have no journalists. Yeah. They, have, they print papers, but they have nobody in them, really. Yeah,
1: I mean, things. in Ohio, I'll give credit. We still have some really good yeah. journalists and they do a good job, but if I talk to them candidly, they're like, we're overwhelmed, we're exhausted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We can't keep up with every new iteration of this horribly rigged map. And these are the people who have been around a long time. So, you know, the average state house, one study found, has three reporters per state house. Mm -hmm. That is literally a dream of those who want to take over state houses and do undemocratic
0: things. And and it does take time and experience to work through those institutions and know what's what. You can't just throw these rookie reporters in these situations. But I think this idea that you know people are empowered—they have their phones, they have their video cameras, they can pop up anything that they find, and they can put it up on Twitter. It's so powerful when some of these things get sent around and become viral, as you point out. And I think that it can build a movement and also empower. People to do something at a unique time. Okay,
1: um, one other thing, yeah, don't go around the paywall. If there's a paper that's doing good state house coverage. Mm subscribe to it. Yes, like, yes. Reward those things that lift democracy.
0: Yes. And if stuff we that's all, available we for free have, isn't great. We
1: save $1.99 a month by right. signing on to a different computer or whatever. Yeah. You are undermining democracy. If you want good state journalism, local journalism, if it's a nonprofit, support it. There are more nonprofit newspapers mm-hmm. popping up. If it's a good in-state journalism with someone covering that state house, subscribe to it. Um,
0: right, right. Let's get back to the I'll, list here because we're going to run out of time. So contest every district. This is so important. I had no idea that not every district in this country was contested. Oh. Why not? Why is it happening like that?
1: Because it's really hard. Mm. And this is where the conversation is a tough one. This district was designed for you to lose really badly. And You're going to have to take a lot of time to do this. Mm -hmm. And so if it's only about whether they win or lose that election, a lot of serious people who have lives to lead and kids to raise aren't going to do it. You need to broaden the the conversation. Democracy is in the balance. When they rig districts, it's so they have a monopoly on the conversation in two thirds of the state of Ohio. Mm -hmm. You running is a heroic act of democracy, and we're there to help you get your message out. And if, if you don't win, the fact that you ran, we're going to celebrate. And anyone who wins because you ran, you were part of that victory. So if 99 people ran for the State House in Ohio, it would really help Tim Ryan win a Senate seat. Right, My hope course. is some of them would win too. It's a team sport. And I've
0: seen some so amazing- up ballots, not down ballots.
1: Yeah, up yeah. both ways. I've yeah. seen, we had some great congressional candidates in the last couple of years, veterans, you know, pilots, uh, valedictorians of Ohio State, for example. They didn't win, but the lift that their operation brought the turnout elected some of those state reps. Mm-hmm. And those wins were partly their wins. So you've got to say it's a team sport. And after the election, if they lost, if they want to stay involved, don't let them go anywhere. And, mm-hmm. and in the past, too many sort of party folks, they walk away, they celebrate the five wins. It's hard to lose. I've lost. You know, you got your family there, you've asked them to do everything. Mm-hmm. You got to buck these people up and say, you are part of the long game. You know, think about the women suffragists and John Lewis and how they knew it was a long game for generations. Mm -hmm. And we quit after one cycle. We have to redefine it as a long game for democracy. And anyone who steps up to run needs to be treated accordingly.
0: Well said, that's really good. Very powerful stuff. Uh, The question here is why aren't well-funded national progressive groups funding ads, grassroots efforts to promote lobbying or of recalcitrant senators for voting rights and filibuster reforms? We sort of covered that, but- Yeah, my guess
1: is you'll probably see that when we get closer. There are a lot of groups, very passionate, There's a lot of passion in the party for this. And I think we probably will see that. I hate to say it. I'm not sure how effective ads are. I think it might alienate as much as it uh, helps. But I do think phone calls from real live people in these states really matter. And by the way, not just to the senators who are on the fence, but I would call senators who you know are on the right side and say, I want you to be more loud on this. Mm -hmm. I don't see from you a sense that this is as urgent as it is, and that's giving other people in your Senate a license to not do what they need to do. So, I mean, we've seen moments, you know, Nancy Pelosi, uh, Wendy um, Davis, where she stood in Texas for hours. I want that. I mean, I'm a good friend of Cory Booker. Cory yep. Booker stood for 20 hours and did that, right. and he's the kind of guy who would. Only acting that way will wake people up to how bad it is. Um, I think you're so
0: right. And I think I just Chris, the president-
1: McCarthy One who spent hours talking. Why aren't we the ones doing that? I mean, why is Kevin McCarthy seem more passionate about what he's doing? Our officials need to not just be on the right side, but need to fight for it again harder than anything they've ever fought for. And And the
0: public can play a role in this. The public can really step up and find the pressure points. If we all knew the pressure points, it would be easier. But if we don't, we'll find out quick enough. You know, if there are things that are beginning to bubble, let's find them. Let's increase the pressure on those big issues, let's see if the senators and and
1: by the way, give them and, and understand where people are coming from. That's why I mentioned the guarantee clause. Mm. I believe some of these senators are worried about other votes that Mm. they think the filibuster will help them on because they actually don't agree with other Democrats. So with those senators, I'd say that's a different debate. That's a different issue. This is democracy. Mm. And with democracy, the Constitution tells you what you have to do. And that's a clear exception based on principle that allows you to separate the other issues that you don't agree with. And so I I do think not just hitting everyone over the head, although that can help too, but with some of them, get them the arguments. If you think they are legitimately struggling, get them the arguments that they can grab, I was in office, I get this, you know, hey, I want to get to where I need to get, but I don't want to open a door to something else. Help people find their way if you sense that there is some room there.
0: It's interesting. I mean, I think a lot of these lawmakers assume that they're not going to win in the future, that the party's not going to be in power and the filibuster is going to be used against them. And that's sort of going in with the worst mindset you could possibly imagine. Uh, You know, we have to go into the mindset of winning.
1: Yeah. We learned in the Trump year, if nothing else. You learned you never caved to bullies, Mm -hmm. ever. Then they've got you that mindset is caving to Mitch McConnell. Right, He's a bully. You think, well, if we do this and he's gonna do that, so we can't do it. Yeah, He's gonna do it anyway, on the things that Mitch McConnell cares about. Absolutely. And by the way, most of what he needs done is happening at the state level. So he doesn't need a bunch of Senate laws to pass anyway. He's getting everything he needs through state laws and judges that he doesn't have a filibuster for to uphold those things. He doesn't care about the other stuff. And so you're letting him win, but you're also, you're showing him that you're willing to be bullied because you're scared of what he might do. I don't see them, I never see Mitch McConnell looking like he's afraid that if he did X, we might do Y in three years. It's a losing mindset. It's frankly why the Republican Party lost their party, Donald Mm -hmm. Trump, they got bullied for six years. Mm -hmm. Look what happened to him. So why would we not learn the lesson and let ourselves get bullied?
0: Absolutely, I think the mindset is so important. And uh, for whatever reason, you know, and I, you know, I love people like Cory Booker who have a real uh, spiritual and soulful sort of presence when they sell their platforms. And I think that you know people like that need to really stand up at this time because yeah. I think that there's. I, my so prediction many- is you'll see
1: some of that. I, mean, I think they're being quiet because they want their colleagues to come along. And I think you're going to see at one point when the vote is called. I think it needs to come sooner. I mean, it's easy for me to say this. I know all the pressures in the White House. I would have done this first. I would have gotten it done because the longer it goes. We saw this with 2010 and nine. You know, once you get behind other things, those things get negotiated. Next thing you know, you're in March or April. They're running the ads and it never happens. And again, if you don't do it because you're passing other bills, you're literally making a compromise against democracy. And the lesson, again, going back to 1877, Hmm. if you are trading that you get other positive things, be the economic or other, and in that trade, you're saying, therefore, we won't push democracy. You are going to lose. Absolutely. And, And never trade for democracy.
0: Absolutely. And, and, That's that, so and I
1: think by pushing it back, they made a trade. We'll do these things and then we'll get to this. No, you don't do that with democracy, especially by March and April when you saw how extreme these state houses were getting, you know, amplifying the big lie and then passing all these laws, let alone the new election rigging.
0: And we have no memory, it seems. We have no memory of how bad Donald Trump really was. And that was a yeah. lukewarm version of what we might get in the future. I mean, you know, the first term of Donald Trump was him being nice. I mean, what's going to happen in the next term of a autocratic leader? It's not going to be anything that anyone would want. And people have forgotten that. And because it's of that distance in time, you know, maybe it's lost some of the fire and maybe all of us need to be re-energizing around how traumatic and devastating and awful Trump was and how it will get much, much worse if the GOP wins next year.
1: Let me just make it even worse for you. Other people are more dangerous than Trump. Mm -hmm. The system they're setting up in states will benefit whoever runs. And Trump was so incompetent on COVID and he tweeted so much I think someone else actually could have run a much better campaign and not turned off those voters. And so my worry is a brighter, less insane person, than Donald Trump Mm. who sees the levers in all these state houses, you know, this is what Orban does and Mm -hmm. is savvy about it and is smarter about it than a guy who in the end didn't have enough Mm -hmm. self-control, you know, if someone else had stepped up and really taken on COVID, they could have had a much stronger reelection campaign. Mm. And this is why I say it can't just be about never Trump. It's about institutions across this country, preparing this trigger that whoever is potentially running in 24, 28 or whatever is going to go benefit from. And that's something that's unique here versus you know other strongman type governments. Mm. You know, Putin runs everything. Orban runs everything. In America, these state houses run a lot of everything. Right. And their work could actually inure the benefit of a lot of people beyond Donald Trump. And, and in some it? ways, it benefits. The Koch brothers might look back and think, sheesh, I wish someone a little smarter had actually gotten in there because they would have been able to take more advantage of everything they're given through these state houses Absolutely. than even Trump, who in the end had no self-discipline.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, it's certainly, you look at people like the son, you know, lining up and he's no Donald Trump. He's much savvier. He knows how to yeah. play the media and he knows the strings to pull. And I think, you know, people like him are very dangerous, Correct. obviously for democracy. And
1: Everything's and, in place for them to take hold of.
0: Yeah. So you talk about competing in all 50 states. You sort of mentioned the competing in every district, but what's about the 50 states is sort of where we started, but you know, just to wrap it all up, how important yeah. and are the individual states that are more important than others and where should we be focusing our attention?
1: I mean, one, I, as I said earlier, if you told every donor, let's take six or 8% of your presidential spend mm-hmm. and divide it up across 50 states and use it at elections at all levels, they'd say you're crazy. And you know what you'd say back? It's what the Koch brothers did. It worked. Hmm. That's what they Interesting. did. Interesting. They decided that they could afford because they cared about attacking democracy. And they obviously profit from all this. So there's a little bit of a difference in incentive, hmm. but they made that bet in 2010. And on budgets that are quite small, they flipped a lot of state houses, including Ohio's. Democrats were the majority state house in Ohio in 2010. And they flipped it, they flipped them all hmm. over. And so you need to fight everywhere. you know. If you only go to federal swing states, maybe you win, maybe you don't, but you're letting them off the hook. Look at what Republicans did. New Jersey, Virginia were blue. They didn't sit back and say, well, forget those states. We're only going to focus on Reds. They went right after it. They knock out a governor who we thought would win. They almost win New Jersey. They don't think about you know, in one way I put this in the book. If you look at that map, there's a network of think tanks that mm-hmm. are conservative policy think tanks. Mm-hmm. It's called the State Policy Network. If you put your arrow on your computer over Hawaii, they have one there. Mm-hmm. If you put it over Vermont, they have one there. They are pushing this battle everywhere. You know, again, if we're only in some states and they are in every state, long-term over time, you know, they'll pick up Missouri 10 years later. You know, Missouri wasn't was a close state not long ago. Obama won Indiana. If every time they win a state, they put it in their back pocket and we give up on it because we only stick with certain swing states, they're always gaining, 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 and we're getting a narrow, narrow play field. So the good news is we do have a demographic advantage. So some states, Georgia, and this is why they're being so intense about suppression. Georgia, Virginia, we're seeing changes. Trump alienated suburban women. By the Mm -hmm. way, again, not everyone may have that problem. So there are things that are helping us, but they play for keeps everywhere. And we need to start competing every single state.
0: Yeah. And they're Um, aggressive on policy. Some of these policies that they make up are, you know, very effective as we saw in Virginia, you know, with critical race theory and and the like. I mean, they're able to ignite issues that the Democrats just don't, they don't operate in that way. They don't have the, you know, the muscle to do that. And it's so important to gain that, especially in these next 10 months, although there's plenty to work with, you know, just brings back to where we started the show with this idea that these, you know, this caucus of gaslighters are out there trying to distract us from what's really going on. How do people find out what's really going on? You know, the shows like mine, but where else can, is there a place? Right. Go this is going to sound
1: horribly self-serving. Yeah, that's. Please read the book. The book yeah. goes through this in a way that it's weird to say. It's painful. Mm-hmm. How bad it is. As much as you think you know how bad it is, the book will make it feel worse. But then it takes a turn and says, "And here's what you can do about it." But I believe until people wake up to how bad it is, they're not going to do what needs to be done. I will say, I want to mention a few. John Avalon is on CNN. He's actually covering this very well. I give him a lot of credit. I've been on the show. He's gotten into some of the details about Ohio's gerrymandering. Um, some of the MSNBC folks do as well. So there are people doing it. The New York Times had a big story a few weeks ago on it. So it's starting to come around. But I think that a lot of it is on social media shows like yours. Mm-hmm. You know, follow me on Twitter. I try and get it out there. One of the things I'm hoping to do is I do have a website, laboratoriesofautocracy.com. Mm-hmm. And I've asked people to sign up there. And you know, I don't know if you've written a book, but you never know what's going to happen. But if if there's enough energy behind what i've written my hope is to use that website oh, yeah. laboratories.com to inform people about things that are happening that are quite bad but also what are things that are, people are doing that are really good that you should emulate?
0: Yeah, exactly. So it's my so hope important. Is to
1: do that. And so if you go to the website, you can sign up. And my hope is to this year think through ways to do that, you know, as much yeah, as Even
0: I just can. a weekly newsletter from you would be really useful for people. Yeah. That's laboratoriesofautocracy.com, right? That's the website?
1: That's the website, yeah.
0: People can also find you on Twitter by going to at David Pepper. That's correct. Yeah. And,
1: and I, I just started a YouTube channel, David Pepper for Ohio. Okay. My email is davidpepperforohio.gmail.com. People can go to YouTube where I also have those videos if they're on YouTube. But the videos are all two minutes And I didn't know what would happen with them, but I did a video on what happened in the 1800s, the one that feels like old history, viewed than any other by far. 330,000 people, why? Because they never knew that we had a functioning democracy in the South before Jim Crow set in. So the history and the policy, I try and go through in ways that people might not have confronted before.
0: I love all that. It's certainly one of the reasons we started Narrative was to bring some context in terms of history to the current events. And it sounds like you can do a lot of that too on your YouTube channel, which is called?
1: David Pepper, for Ohio. Ohio.
0: Okay. Well, everyone's going to check all that out. I'm sure our audience will be very supportive of you. We will continue, hopefully, to cover these things and hopefully you'll come back on our show. David, it's been really terrific yeah, having to. you here. And maybe you need to show of your own on Narrative so we get more of your information out there and more of your activism out there. So really well, eye-opening. Oh, it's been
1: great. It's been a great conversation. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for being here tonight. So we'll see you then. The After Show will be back on Friday. Thanks for being here on the first Narrative of 2022. Looking forward to a great year with you guys. Have a good night. Narrative is made possible by viewers like you. Join today and support truly independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. That's patreon.com forward slash narrative.